You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. I'm your host. Our guest today is Trevor Perkins. He's one of our coaches and he's also triathlete and ultra-endurance runner. Trevor, how are you? How is everything with you? Well, at the moment, everything is really fine. Thank you for asking, Diogo. And, uh, how, is, how is the weather there? Oh, normal British weather. <laughs> raining. Oh. It's raining? No, no, no way. It's impossible. Well, North Devon, yes. We've got some rain. Every now and again, the sun thinks it might come out, but uh, it's not really doing coming out to play at the moment oh dear anyway trevor so my first question for you is the one i i usually make to all the guests that we have which is um how you got involved in the triathlon sport how everything started for you um, sure i'd love to answer that i'm quite certain my answer is not going to be vastly different from um, many other triathletes um, at school i i tended to gravitate um, towards sports more so than academics, as probably a lot of folks could recognize with. Um, I found endurance sports in particular to be to my liking, so the likes of cross-country and um, long track events, etc. I mm -hmm. um, also enjoyed the swimming and so on. Anyway, once leaving school, I, um, I very quickly moved into other forms of endurance sports and in my case, I ended up doing a lot of motocross racing and endurance motorbike racing, um, wow. which was physically demanding uh, and required me to be physically fit because I was, um, dare I say, fairly competitive in the chosen category that I'd entered. Mm -hmm. So in doing so, I needed to stay fit and obviously running, um, strength work, etc., was was quite key to my motocross career. Um, and then as things progressed, and a little bit on a slightly sadder note, um, my brother was due to go off on, a, on a, um, a British tour trip and be away from home for a year. And just prior to him leaving, we had committed to running the Comrades uh, Marathon together when he returned. Um, unfortunately, uh, due to illness, he, um, he never returned and eventually passed away. So it was a... An unfinished piece of business that brought me to long distance running and endurance sport effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and once I'd run the comrades um, and so forth, realized that I really enjoyed um, that level of, of sport, that level of discomfort within sport. I enjoyed the longer stuff. I, uh, I looked at it and thought, well, triathlon had been around for about a decade by the time I started. It was a very fashionable sport. Um, I felt that I was uh, I was okay at all three disciplines, but probably not good at any one of them to to go it alone as a sport. So mm -hmm. um, decided to do triathlon and um, and really really enjoyed it. So you know, watching the likes of um, and I'm about to give away my age, the likes of um, Maka and um, Alan and so forth racing um, Kona and various other circuits and whatnot really inspired me into what I thought then was a very fashionable sport. Um, and that's pretty much my, my pathway into triathlon. And you, you started doing short distance or long distance? Well, at first I did short distance um, because 
in the in the town that I lived in, or the city I lived in, which was Durban, there was a um, a good friend of mine who owned a, a bicycle shop, and at the same time he set up a series of short course races, um, and of course, being a friend of mine, I was automatically drawn to it, got involved, um, and 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 raced those, and that was how you know the the beginning, but very quickly because of of the Comrades Marathon and various other ultra distance running things I had done, um, long course triathlon started being more appealing for me. Um, and that's what I gravitated to. Mm -hmm. And um, how different do you think is triathlon nowadays from the time that you started? What changes? You know, Yoga, that's a, that's a really good question. In a sense, I'd say it's no different in that obviously you've got, you know, your three disciplines plus your concision. And then in another element, it's, it's vastly different. Um, the, the biggest difference, in my opinion, obviously there's advancements in technology with regard to your mm -hmm. equipment and so forth. But it's the way you approach your training that I've seen the biggest change uh, within triathlon and for that case in many other sports. And that's become a lot more scientific scientifically based um, in order to train smartly, recover well, race at your optimum. So when I first started long course racing, it was simply about doing volume. Um, you know, as a layman and without having anybody to guide me in the way of a coach and so forth, mm -hmm. you know, there was nothing to tell me, right, you need to back off now. There was no data, no statistics or anything to show whether I was approaching overtraining or you know, how I was fatigued and so forth. Um, so it was the, the more is better. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously everything was within a sustainable uh, pace that you could go for a long time. So effectively, you weren't damaging yourself, but effectively we were probably fatiguing ourselves extensively because every day you'd get out and, and do, um, do some form of training. Um, however, saying that, you know, I, I still think there were athletes, even age group athletes, that were performing extremely well. Um, so without the data available or a lot more data available to what we have today, athletes are still racing quite well on long course. Even the, the records have been broken quite recently. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why records are going to get broken. Um, you know, and, and when you look at how the records have been broken, from many years ago to now, there's a vast difference, but each year from many years ago until now, the, the changes have been relatively small, um, which mm -hmm. probably falls in line with the technology with regard to aerodynamics, weight of equipment, efficiency of equipment, training methods, um, etc., and understanding the science behind the training. And um, it's funny that you, you told me your story about how you started as an athlete. But uh, what made you go to to coaching? Uh, again, I don't want to give out any sub stories, but I. That's why we're here, Trevor. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I used to I used to work in the surf industry, so I had a very comfortable working environment, um, being a surfer as well, and so forth, and it was lovely. But when the UK went through the well, sometimes some years back went through the credit crunch, um, the leisure industry took a little bit of a knock. And unfortunately, um, I uh, ended up being on the redundancy list for the company, and uh, they asked me to leave. Um, I didn't um, 
really want to go back to a desk job for a while. So I went off back to university to, to study coaching. Um, I had been coaching the local triathlon club uh, for a number of years. Um, mm. I took over our local club from one of our other esteemed coaches, which is Mr. Alan Ward. Um, so uh, it, it, was a, it was a lovely opportunity for me to get involved. Um, I did it surely on the basis that I was enthusiastic about it. Um, I didn't have any qualification when I got involved, um, but then went off and obviously got up to um, you know, my level two in British Triathlon and, and so forth. And once I finished university, um, cutting a long story short, I went off to race the Wimbledon 70.3 and happened to come across Alan and Philip at the um, Triathlon Training Harder stand, told them what my um, pathway had been, where I was, currently finished uni, unemployed, um, but having studied uh, coaching and the rest is, as I say, a bit of history. And yeah, and we met uh, in 2017 when I started. And I got to tell that you have been a huge help um, in that year. Because you are someone who really loves this sport and um, you are so passionate about it. And you like to transmit the knowledge that you have, um, which was, was perfect. Um, are you coaching at this moment, Trevor? Um, Diego, yes, I am coaching. Uh... But very little. In fact, the mm -hmm. only athlete I'm working with at the moment is actually going off to run uh, the MDS. Um, so it's a, it's an ultra distance. Obviously, people that don't know Marathon de Saab, it's a multi-stage race through the Moroccan desert um, over six days. So that's where I'm, I'm at at the moment. Um, unfortunately, I've had a pretty torrid year with regards uh, family and personal setbacks and bereavements, etc. So, mm -hmm. in a sense, it kind of molded me at the moment for this year, um, which has made me focus more on the running and a little bit less on the triathlon, in particular swimming, because um, I do live in a, yeah. in a home where I've got two vulnerable adults, extremely vulnerable, one with a heart condition and one very elderly. So, mm -hmm. throughout this whole pandemic, um, as much as I'd love to get out, I've had to be very mindful of um, other of course, yeah, of course. Health. So it's it's given me an opportunity to reflect slightly different on what I'd like to do, set a slightly different goal to to normal, um, and so I've been focusing on the, on the long distance running. Come February next year, that box would be ticked. Um, so my thoughts are to possibly go um, to look at something a bit more extreme, and I'm considering the Keltman up in Scotland, which in Oh wow! Extreme distance um, triathlon. So that's uh, that looks like it might be on the cards for me. So what makes this um, ultra or extra, these mega races so so special for you, Trevor? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to not say a bit of bragging, right? But I think there's an element of the of the human achievement that I feel when I complete one of these um, style of events. Um, I really do take a, a lot of pleasure, and this sounds very self-sadistic in a sense, but a lot of pleasure out of the discomfort that's associated with ultra-distance training and racing. Um, I like to push the limits to what I'm, I can do. I would like to think I'm you know, mentally strong enough and resilient to be able to deal with whatever the event throws at me and, and overcome that. Um, you know, Over the years, I've, I've tried short course stuff and so forth, and when it comes to out-and-out -out speed, 
I'm probably just lacking that last few percent to be able to mix it with the the top boys and girls within in my category. But certainly on the ultras, I tend to have a little bit more of an edge over uh, over some of the competitors. Um, and so that that gives me a bit of impetus to keep going towards the ultra mm -hmm. stuff. And um, how many hours you you have to train during the week? Well, that that's a steady progress. You know, even though it's ultra distance running, um, it's not necessarily more hours of training. So my training can fluctuate anything from around about eight hours up to about sixteen hours per week. Uh, when I say mm -hmm. fluctuate, it'll it, it'll grow steadily from a, a lower to obviously a higher volume. But it's more about the consistency um, of the training. So you know, double day, double run days, and back-to-back -back runs. You know, one afternoon, following morning, followed by another run, and so on. So it's all about running. You know, running on fatigue and dealing with the fatigue and the and the pressures that that brings. And so, yeah, I've had some how can you motivate yourself when you are so tired? Because we know that when we run two or three days in a row, our legs are very, very tired and very sore. <laughs> How do you motivate? How do you motivate yourself to get out of the house when it's raining in the UK? Yeah, and then have to go for a run again. Um, well, again, um, you know, if if my wife was sat here, she would tell you that I actually wait for the for the rains to come and then I go. <laughs> um, it's it's almost not a motivational thing. It's almost like an opportunity thing for me. Um, I do mm -hmm. I do enjoy all of that. I, it sounds crazy, but I really enjoy putting myself in. In a situation that is going to be a little bit more challenging, uh, for example, my run last night, um, you know, I did half marathon last night, but I left as the sun was setting so that I was running in the dark um, mm -hmm. perfectly so that I can train in a situation where I've got to think better. I've got to think about how I'm placing my foot. It was all off-road that I was doing. So it was making me really concentrate on, on what I was doing. Um, you know, I don't want to stand on a tree root, for example, and it's my ankle so I put myself in those situations in order to try and get some kind of adaptation that will benefit you know when I'm racing no matter what I'm faced with and um, I was about to ask you how do you, I know that you are only coaching one one person at this moment and it's for these kind of races um, would you say that enjoying what you're doing and loving this this sport and ultra races is halfway through to be successful in this distance? Oh, definitely. Um, absolutely. When, you know, when I speak to my athletes, um, you know, I've, I've actually met with them, we've had a long chat. So when we talk to each other, we can relate to what each other, you know, what we're considering, what we're thinking, what we're doing, because we, we pretty much have a similar mindset. Mm -hmm. um, he is much younger, but he still has the same desires. He still wishes for the same things. He understands the pressures that these style of events are going to place on him um, and he's he's ready for it so being motivated myself means that i can pass that on to him into in a way of supporting his motivation his desire and excitement with regards to the event because um, i'm quite certain if i didn't have yeah, the passion that i have for it um, the conversation with my athlete would be less successful and how different is the, the training of ultra-endurance races to, um, to triathlon? I'm not talking about Ironman races, but for example, Olympic races or um, even half Ironman distance races. 
how different can it be in terms of uh, of planning and progression from one race to the other one? Is it too different? Well, there's, there's slight differences, but in all, conditioning is um, is going to be relevant. So, for example, um, I I'll give you an example of what I do for my ultra stuff is. A lot of athletes that are racing the short course stuff will do hill reps on a hill which is maybe 50, 50 to 75 meters long. Mm -hmm. And my hill rep is one kilometer long. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. and, but it's not about maximum speed I can run up that hill. It's about the maximum sustainability that I can do repetitively because that's what you face within an ultra. Because there's such a long distance, you come across obviously longer the distance the possibility and potential for a lot more hill climbs is there because there's a long distance to go mm -hmm. so you have to be able to repeat that effort over and over and over again so the, the training is still there you'll still do some level of speed work you'll still do some level of hill training definitely do your strength and conditioning um, etc but it'll just look slightly different based on the on the goal that you're trying to achieve the event you're doing the terrain you're going to race on I mean, all my ultras are off-road, so, you know, when I do a lot of my hill reps and, and things like that, I try and choose terrain that is going to mimic underfoot racing conditions. Mm -hmm. So generally it's going to be off-road, soft sand, etc. Um, so it's no different in the sense of the overall package. You're still doing speed, you're still doing strength, hill reps, endurance runs, etc. It's just a little bit more specific to the event. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, imagine that we have someone that is listening to this podcast and they want to start doing ultra races, uh, ultra running races. What piece of advice would you give to that person? Just imagining that this person never ran more than 20K, for example. Uh, I'd like to say to them, don't do it. But <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't really be the... the uh, the best advice, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a bit of tongue-in-cheek. If, if somebody was listening to this and that's where they wanted to go, my best piece of advice would be be patient. And uh, something I live by wholeheartedly is respect the need for recovery as much as you respect the need for the training. Mm -hmm. If you do not recover, if you push yourself beyond um, what is sustainable, you will break. Um, and it, it's the rest and the recovery periods of you know, getting over injury and so forth will set you so far back that it'll just take you such a long time to, to get to a point where you're able to, um, you know, you're able to run these kind of distances. So just keep it. Don't you think up. that um, one of the biggest mistakes people make is because imagine that you're going to run 100 something k, and they tend to run more than they should when they prepare the races. In just one session, for example. Oh, totally. Yes, um, you know, I've read a, I've read a lot on ultra distance running, and the majority of the information um, will say that it's not necessary that you need to run, you know, these massive distances in training. You just need to run the cumulative amount of distance in your plan, training week, mm -hmm. ten day cycle, whatever your cycle is. Um, however, saying that, there's there are a few athletes that I have read some of their information and, and their you know, account of what they do. And because of various constraints within their life, they simply use volume as a, a training method. Um, just run more. But they run mm -hmm. more at a 
very sustainable pace um, and that translates into a good performance role for a distance. Um, if somebody's got the opportunity to really tailor their training well, I'd certainly recommend you keep to doing some speed work, keep to doing some strength work, do your, your long runs. Again, for ultra, they don't have to be in the 50 and 60 kilometer, you know, sort of distances, so 30 miles and so forth. But if mm -hmm. you did one, for example, you know, yesterday afternoon, 25K, then Sunday morning, go out and do 15, 16, 18K. So that it's back to back. And, and so that will translate into, you know, a, a good adaptation for um, ultra distance running. And would you say that, um, I'm just thinking out loud, uh, S&C workouts would be good for this kind of, um, of sport also? Absolutely. Um, without it, I think you will be very vulnerable to injury. Mm -hmm. um, the S&C, however, um, I tend to find, I, I do a lot of body weight stuff rather than going to the gym and doing weight training. Um, I do have some free weights in my own little gym at home, so I can add load the uh, stuff to do in particular, you know, mm -hmm. do squats and deadlifts and things like that, which definitely translates um, well into supporting your running. And the, one of the key things I'd say before S and C even is to look at your range of motion. Make sure you're able to move your joints correctly, um, and if you've got flexibility um, and so forth, and that will translate into supporting. Uh, you know, longer distance running, sustainable time on your feet, etc. Um, but SNC, it's got to be in there in, in some form. It does not need to be smashing out the heaviest weights at the gym. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, simply can. Body weight training, brilliant. You know, resistance bands, I mean, I know I'm talking resistance bands and upper body, but your upper body must not be neglected because you've got to hold mm -hmm. it. You've got to hold everything together, whether it be your arm swing for timing, whether it be running with a backpack just being up straight, not slouching, and that all comes from your core and your shoulders and your back and your lats. So all of those things have got to be conditioned as well as your legs. It's funny that uh, we only think that SNC is important when we get injured. Um, one of the, th the things that we as coaches tend to do uh, when we work for triathlon, for example, is instead of making long runs, we work the endurance part of it on the bike to avoid injuries. Um, do you usually do mountain biking, for example, to try to compensate the amount of time as in terms of endurance? No, I don't do any mountain biking. Um, although I've got, I've got a mountain bike, I can't tell you the last time I rode it. Um, what, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> what I tend to supplement my training with is um, turbo trainer. Uh, so I will go out for a run, come back, get on my turbo for a bit, or the other way around. Um, which in a sense is also leading into triathlon training, so mm -hmm. that sort of brick session feel. Um, I, yeah, so that's, that's really how I go. Another thought with regards to mountain biking, and I, I mean, I didn't really have this plan to say, but um, another reason why I've, I've not really been out mountain biking too much. The reason I gave up motocross is I had a, a serious accident and then mm -hmm. myself to the point where I was very lucky not to wheelchair down for the rest of my life well wow. um, so considering my desire to want to race a motorbike um, off-road I thought a mountain bike would be a little bit too tempting for me to do things I couldn't do 
Um, so I have avoided it for that reason. And tell me something, Trevor. How is the the nutrition um, in these races, and when you prepare these races, how how do you do it? And um, straightforward. I eat well. I uh, I try and avoid um, as much of processed foods as I can. Uh, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when I'm building up to these races, I also have to skip all my cake stops when I'm out on my bike ride <laughs> <laughs> because uh, yeah, it's just not clever nutrition. Um, exactly. <laughs> but I, I do try and eat well. Eat just you know the normal recommendations: things, lots of vegetables, um, healthy you know, foods, etc. Um, during the race, I've you know I've worked out very well what what I can and can't stomach, and I tend to find the initial part of the race, probably at least up until about halfway, I'm generally on solid foods, um, either be energy bars, um, etc. I also tend to be one of those crazy chaps that makes up a nice um, chicken sandwich and wrap that up in a little bit of cellophane and I take that with me and I eat that on the run. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's just a, it's a change in, in, in texture, change in flavor. And changing mm -hmm. sweetness and so forth while you're running because sometimes even the energy bar that you love, you know, to eat. But at some point in the race, you've had you've had it so much, you, you're getting tired. Everything is, you know, whether it be your taste buds are heightened or whatever, and you just find it uncomfortable to eat that particular product. So I do change it up, but then certainly after that, I find um, I then start resorting to um, liquid and energy. You know, so get all my energy carbs and all the rest of it from a from the drink. It's funny that you say that about the sandwich because I know a guy who who brought a sandwich, a ham sandwich, a prosciutto ham, to an Ironman race, and um, I can imagine the picture of someone <laughs> grabbing a, a sandwich halfway through the bike to eat um, yeah. a prosciutto ham sandwich. Because <laughs> I think it's quite hilarious, but uh, yeah, it's interesting. Well, uh, I, it. I do make it easy for myself in that I. Uh, I, I spoil myself. I cut the crust off and I cut them into smaller bits, you know, so I'm not really running around with a whole big slice of bread. With a baguette. <laughs> I, I kind of got bite sizes in, in bits and, and I eat it that way. But um, it's just that flavor that's just a bit different. It just breaks the monotony mm -hmm. of, you know, an energy bowl, an energy gel or something like that. And tell me something, Trevor. I know how much you hate the cold weather. Yeah, I know it. Um, I think we are very similar in that um, in that situation. When you see that outside is a miserable weather, it's cold, it's freezing. Um, how do you do to keep yourself warm? Because I know that you suffer quite a lot with the cold. Sure. Um, how do you do it? Well, I've I've just spent a lot of money on the right equipment. Um, mm -hmm. There's no other way. I don't think I I, yeah. I get cold standing in front of the fridge for too long. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you know. So I've got no choice. I've I've spent a uh, a fair chunk on you know the best possible base layers I can get and gloves, um, you know seal skin socks and you name it and water shoes and all the rest of of the stuff to try and keep me as um, as comfortable as possible. Saying that mm -hmm. though, once I'm out and I'm going, and I, I I tend to find that I need sometimes to to make myself ignore my hands and my feet when they're really cold. Mm -hmm. So I will I will do things like try and count backwards from a thousand in you know in threes. Um, and it sounds daft, but you, once you start doing that, you get it wrong, of course, because you're quite fatigued. 
and then you sort of refocus and say, let me do that again and, and try and count backwards. Um, before you know it, you've actually forgotten about the one thing that was, you know, mm -hmm. sort of really distracting you and, you and you just find yourself back in your rhythm. So I try to play mind games with myself. Um, not that it's always successful, but <laughs> you certainly got to try something, otherwise you, you know where you're going to be. You know, I mean, I do suffer from a condition called Raynaud's, so my fingers, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. I can't feel. It. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. So uh, I, I have to take care. Um, but when it gets to that point, I just say, "Well, that's it. I can't use my hands for anything. I just, I just forget about them for now." You know, well, at least you don't have to break anything with your hands. Exactly. <laughs> Only my fall, <laughs> my fall over. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Tell me something, Trevor. Uh, when you pick up your races uh, that you're going to do during the season, um, you have all these kind of aspects in count, the distance, the, the weather, um, the terrain, um, or just find someone, some race that is quite interesting and you're just going to do it, and then you prepare the rest of it. Um, no, I, I do both. Um, the race that I race in February, I've done this now for a number of years. Um, it's quite close to my home. Both my wife mm -hmm. and I love the, the south coast of Devon. Um, so we, we make a whole you know weekend of it and we stay away and so forth. And with us both working in, in the school environment, quite often we can actually take the Sunday, you know, not come back until the Monday, which is quite nice so that we get back to work and so on. And so I'll look at, I, I, I tend not to spend too much finances and so forth on trying to travel too far away when mm -hmm. a beautiful event on our doorstep because. You know, North Devon, where I live, is a fantastic part of the UK. We've got some fantastic venues to go race on. Anyway, the one I do on the South Coast is one I've done for a number of years. We both like going down there. Um, so that's our, it's sort of a mini break, a mini holiday for us as well. So that's why I do it. I like the fact that it's, it's in February. I like the fact that the weather is in you know, it's, it's almost an unknown to a certain degree. We've had a couple of years mm -hmm. where I've done it, it's been extremely muddy and, and rainy, and then you know, one occasion it was beautiful weather. So you just never know what you're going to get. And uh, tell me something, Trevor, what is the race of your dreams? Uh, I'll tell you the race that I would love to do again, um, and it was the one that actually filled me with the, the, the most excitement, and it was the Alpuez Triathlon. Oh. Um, now, I mean, I'd love to go to Kona, of course, as the age group mm -hmm. race and whatnot. But when I raced the Alpes Triathlon, I had never been into France. I'd only ever seen the Tour de France on TV. You know, the climb Alpes itself was, was quite uh, infamous and, and so on. So for me to go over there and do that event, have a brilliant day to do it on, have a very successful race, do very well for myself. Um, was an absolute dream. Um, so if I could do it again, that would be the, the race I'd choose as my ultimate race. Second only to being able to qualify and go to Kona, of course. If I could get that, well, that would be the very on top of um, I'm glad that we have a training camp. Uh, now I'm doing a little bit of advertising. Um, that we have a training camp or two weeks of training camps in the Alpway um, base camp, I think, with Kevin. So it might be a good idea to ask Philip, just an idea, <laughs> uh, to join the, the coaching team over there, and then you can do the race and you can train over there in the Alps. Oh, Who knows? I would love that. <laughs> Unfortunately, at the moment, I mean, things may change, so watch the space, but um, because of the, the nature of the work I do in a school, 
you know, I can't just take holiday when I'd like, and uh, that one doesn't fall in, in a school holiday period for me to go over and do it, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would definitely be there until it uh, offered that to me. Trevor, we are almost finishing the podcast. Um, my last question, it's not a question, but um, what kind of advice can you give to someone that is doing our short distance and is thinking about going for a long one? What, what is the best advice you can give to that person? Best advice is, is try and find somebody that's, um, that you can talk to who's already doing something like that. See what you might need to adjust. Um, and your mindset might need to change. Um, and, you know, that would be quite keen. The other main piece of advice I'd give anybody who's going to do anything endurance-wise that takes a long time is before they make a commitment is get their family, their loved ones, their support on their side. Um, without that, you will find it extremely difficult. Um, I'm very fortunate in that my wife, Rose, she, she loves the sport that I do. Uh, from a spectacle point of view, she loves watching it, and she's extremely supportive of what I do. So when I tell her I need to go out for, you know, a three or four or five hour training session and so forth, there's never ever been a oh no, but I want to go, you know, to the garden center and buy some flowers or whatever. Um, I've never had that from her, so I've had total support from my wife and my family and encouragement to to train. To me, that would be one of the biggest things. Is get your team on your side. Make sure your yeah. support. Having the right team next to you makes all the difference for sure. Exactly. Yeah. Trevor, yeah. thank you so much for this um, conversation, for this talk. It was very, very interesting. And I think that we all learned a little bit about uh, ultra endurance, not only training, but also racing and the correct mindset. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. And whoever is listening to this, thinking of it, good luck and just keep putting one foot in front of the other and you will get to the finish line. <laughs> That is perfect. Thank you, Trevor. Okay. Goodbye. Take care. The Believe Strive Achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Try Training Harder. Thanks for listening.